Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. We're a little shorthanded tonight, as the annual RabbitCon plague has stolen Julian's voice, and Bruce is enjoying a belated honeymoon with Tom Chick. But at least 3MA founder and sporadic Flash of Steel blogger Troy Goodfellow has joined me here in the 3MA bunker. Hey, I got two posts up this week. Now, one had to do with the podcast, but posted another one uh, today, so we're doing all right. Yeah, damn right. It's like a regular thing now. I'm going to try, I, I promised the last year, I'm going to try to do one a week, but I'm going to try to actually try for more than that. But mm-hmm. yeah, sporadic, and I am always happy to be here. And of course, we also welcome back our friend and Conifer Games designer, John Schaefer. John, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, thanks. It's uh, great to be back on, especially today. Why Conifer? <laughs> Should we explain what how we're talking about? All right, I suppose I'll, I'll do that part since, uh, since Rob uh, was trying to set me up there. So, uh, for people who haven't uh, seen the news yet, I've actually left to found my own game development studio, and it's named Conifer Games. Uh, so, Rob is asking why I chose that, that name. I don't consider it the coolest tree. What do you consider the coolest tree? We're going to get back to that later. <laughs> the sycamore, but be that as it may. So why, so, why Conifer, John? Out of all the names you could have named your company, you only get one shot at this, mm-hmm. and you went... For Conifer. Yes. Well, you, you, you mentioned out of all the names, uh, and if you actually go through all the trademarks, there's basically like 12 left in, in the entire <laughs> world. That's it. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, so there's there were a couple things that went into that. Uh, first, the Conifer Games team is comprised of myself and a couple friends that I actually live with. So uh, we're, we're a pretty tight-knit team. Uh, all three of us are... Uh, kind of nature lovers and uh, we live in a house that's kind of in a little patch of woods here in the Detroit metro area and uh, so we kind of wanted something that fit within that I guess theme. Uh, Additionally when I was trying to come up with names I wanted something that was short and snappy and that everyone could spell uh, because out of the two previous companies I've worked for, Firaxis and Stardock, uh, whenever I would tell anybody where I worked the first question would always be, what? And then the second question would be, how do you spell that? Um, so I didn't want anyone to uh, confuse and think that I worked at Starbucks. A fair point. And I do understand what you mean about, about the strategy game trademarks. There, there, aren't, there aren't many left. And it must be even harder to come up with an original title for a strategy game. Uh, but mm-hmm. anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about map transformation, a topic uh, that you suggested for us, John, uh, I believe because it's one of the driving forces behind your upcoming strategy game, At the Gates, uh, which you can currently find on Kickstarter. Uh, so, John, why don't you start us off here and, uh, you know, talk a bit about, like, uh, map transformation and strategy games and, uh, you know, why, why it's an interesting concept for you. Sure. So, the, the concept of map evolution and transformation is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, what really got me into strategy games and really history in general was... Uh, some old historical atlases that my parents had lying around. So I would read these, I would I would learn about the history of various empires and, and kingdoms and whatnot, and there would be these beautiful maps that have all sorts of interesting features on them, arrows and dashed lines and different colors, and, you know, this is the religion, 
map of of the area in the 16th century and this is the uh you know the political map and this is the military strength and all sorts of crazy awesome stuff like that so from the very beginning uh gaming and my interest in history have been very closely tied to maps from a game design perspective i find map evolution to be really fascinating because it's a very effective tool for uh, encouraging players to adapt and i really feel that especially in strategy gaming what you as a designer really want to do is allow players to have the information and the tools to build a strategy and then kind of prod them a little bit and say oh okay you know your strategy is not going to work out exactly as you planned it uh, you know you it's mostly intact but you'll have to kind of switch gears a little bit and test your your knowledge and your skill along the way uh, i think a lot of games that don't have any elements that force players to adapt that's kind of where you get to that blurry line between strategy games and puzzle games where, okay, you have the solution, you know the answer, you never have to deviate from that. Uh, so it's something that I think is a very important aspect of strategy games. So, you know, when you when you suggested the topic, I, I admit, I, you know, the one thing that made me uh, a little bit leery of it uh, is that I had a hard time coming up with, uh, you know, games that have used map transformation uh, in any significant way. The one that I... I, I that came to mind real quickly, of course, was uh, you know uh, Alpha Centauri, where you could where terraforming itself could significantly change uh, the map and you know certain weather patterns, and then there were a few decisions you could take uh, globally that would dra- drastically alter the map. But I have to admit, like you know, beyond that, I have a hard time thinking of uh, strategy games where like uh, you know changing the changing the field of play, transforming the map, uh, is really something that I've seen a lot of. Now, now, now Troy, you disagreed. You said that this is actually something there's a surprising amount of. Well, I'm not saying it's surprisingly common. I guess it depends on how you want to define it. I mean, there are really a couple of ways to think of map transformation. I mean, there's John's going to go into some detail of the system and at the gates, I hope, to explain uh, how what he's talking about in his particular case. But there are really a few ways you can think of it. At first, there's map transformation that's t- undertaken by the player, that's intentionally done by the player. So you have things like terraforming uh, in Alpha Satori and in Civilization II. You have um, Railroad Tycoon, where the players really determine which cities grow and which ones don't. And through their control of the markets, they can starve a city or they can make a city explode through their manipulation of train routes and the like, uh, if you get really good at it. So that's another example of player-directed map transformation. Then there's indirect player-caused. Uh, map transformation. Like the best example is civilization global warming, which uh, John took out of Civilization Five, among and, other things. Among other things, uh, <laughs> but the idea was if it was too much pollution or you used nuclear weapons too much, you would be penalized because the Earth would, the uh, melt, the glaciers would melt, the seas would rise, and once useful land would become useless. Um, last year, the very, there were a bunch of posts going along this Forever War game from Civ 2. It was posted on Reddit, a bunch of other places, talking about this game where one guy just launched a whole lot of nukes. And it was really a wasteland of swamp and desert because the map had tr- been transformed by this war he had created. So that's player cause, but it's unintentional player action. Then you have the type of map transformation we're kind of familiar with. Things like Seasons um, and mm-hmm. things like uh, Europa Universalis, where it's not where you, you, winter um, can be 
It's gotten less severe in many of the other games uh, as the series is prolonged. But in the first couple of games in that, you really you could not put an army close to Russia in the winter. It was just impossible and completely useless. Um, so and the other games have used weather uh, and the like. And there's also, you know, just... But the, the gameplay itself requires transforming the map. And so I think of games like Age of Empires, where you're cutting down trees, which you're just cutting down trees because you need the trees, but you're also in many ways cutting a new path to the enemy. Um, so that is map transformation, uh, but it's a different type of map transformation. It can be used strategically. It can be used as an adaptive measure, but it's not designed that way. So there are ways... John's talking about it as, in the, as something the player has to adapt to. So we'll leave the Age of Empires example out of there, because that's really just, you're just cutting down everything and mining everything. But you are transforming the map, and that can have strategic consequences. That's kind of not what it's there for. Uh, but So there are games out there that do this. But John, I think, is, so it's, it is, and uh, then we, of course, you have other games, uh, like Greed Corp, where you tear down stuff, to get the resources, and that's what you, how you transform the map is the game itself in Greed Corp, how you adapt that transforming map, and of course our old friend Rob Davio's Risk Legacy, right, which is I think the the one great board game example of constant adaptation, persistent uh, as long as that board is in play. So it's not like it's not out there, but it's done in very different ways. We have to think about it in these contexts. That's true, and you know, in the, in the board game, you know, I suspect this is actually something. Boy, I wish, now I really actually do wish Julian were here because uh, mm-hmm. he could he'd be he'd be better place to address this. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that's actually now that I think of it, there, that you do see a bit more uh, map transformation in board games. Uh, you know, in in part because it's often so easy, right? Like you you can you can take away a tile uh, here and there, flip a you know, flip a flip a map piece or something, and you've you've changed the you've fa- changed the field of play. One that uh, comes to mind that uh, uses it fairly extensively. Well, the entire game is really about uh, the disappearance of the map. Is a game called uh, Escape from Atlantis. Uh, which is really just about um, you know all your, you, uh, all these different like little citizens. All, you got your little meeples, uh, and it's a competition as to who can get the most members of their tribe uh, off Atlantis to safety before the entire thing is swallowed by the ocean. And so it starts, and, and Atlantis is you know it's the entire map pretty much, and there's a little bit of ocean on the on, on the fringes. But as the game goes on, like just huge chunks of it are dropping out of play, and uh, it, you know so a lot of a lot of the game becomes about just like you you hope that the land bridge is going to exist. Two turns later, it might not. Uh, and so the, that that's a game that's yeah, very much driven about a uh, map transformation. Uh, you know, you know, in the context of an apocalyptic event. Yeah, I think that really uh, board games have have done this more effectively than computer games. Uh, and, and I think in part, in part, that's because board game design is kind of a little bit ahead of computer game design. Uh, in in digital games, you can kind of mask. Uh, some things in your game with uh, with graphics and flash and, and that sort of thing. But in a board game, you know, you have the mechanics and then you have little pieces. And if the mechanics aren't good, it doesn't matter how good the pieces are. Uh, so this is really a very interesting uh, mechanic. And it's been utilized uh, some, although not a whole lot yet, in board gaming. And I really think it's a very fertile ground for new game design ideas. This is something that it reminds me of something that uh, I was talking to Chris Taylor uh, in advance of the announcement of the Wild Man Kickstarter, uh, which, uh, boy, by the time this airs, will have wrapped up, I think, one way or another. 
but one thing you mentioned is that you know that it, it's strange because you know if you're designing a computer game theoretically you should be able to do a lot of things you should be able to you know be really out there and and change you know have things change dramatically and play with the player's expectations and you know you should be really uninhibited and, and yet you know in his experience the, the you know broadly in PC gaming uh, and PC strategy gaming uh, you know we're just you know we're not we t- we tend to stick to uh, you know uh, certain set templates and sort of what you see is uh, you know very much often what you get. Now, John, why you know why do you think you said that board gaming is a bit ahead of you know PC strategy game design in some ways? Um, why do you why do you think that is? Well, in in part, it's because of the resources involved in creating a digital game. So when you're making a big production that's tens of millions of dollars, uh, you're kind of beholden to you know doing certain things you need you need really powerful uh, uh, graphics engine and really you know lush fertile world that's really immersive and that kind of distracts a little bit I think from uh, the gameplay and the mechanics uh, design so I think that's one element uh, I think another element is just that because computers are so powerful that actually kind of leads us down some some not so good paths because we can just add more and when you add more it just kind of dilutes everything else that's in the game so if you have a game uh, you know it takes something very very basic like the the board game go which has been around forever it's very 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 simple but every decision that you make is absolutely pivotal and in a game on the PC you might not see something like that because you have so many decisions and everything is, again, kind of watered down. It's, your attention is just pulled 20 different ways and it's hard to prioritize and it's hard to tell what's important and what matters. If you have fewer things, you can do those better. You can put focus on on those and then you can you can build something that's really, you know, more more interesting, I think. Now, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was going to, you know, wait, you know, until I don't know a certain later point in the podcast, maybe to start the, hey, John, tell us about your game. But I, you know, honestly, I, I kind of feel like, you know, this would be a, a helpful time to bring it in, uh, you, you know, in part to, you know, illustrate some of these these issues and also, uh, you know, to to look at sort of how, you know how you're trying to solve them. So. You know, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, you know what At the Gates is and what role map transformation is going to play there? Sure. Okay. So I'll 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 give you guys the one or two minute descriptions uh, so I don't take up the entire podcast. Uh, so for people who haven't uh, heard about it yet, uh, At the Gates is a historical forex strategy game for the PC. Uh, the game takes place around 400 AD as the Roman Empire is collapsing. Uh, however, unlike certain other games, you don't actually play as the Romans. Uh, instead, you command a fledgling barbarian tribe trying to forge a place for itself in this new world as Rome is kind of falling apart. Uh, so given that it's a Forex game, it has a lot of the, the standard features you would expect. Uh, there, there are scouts that explore the map, there's fog of war, uh, you expand by creating new settlements. Uh, but there are a couple really, really cool features that we're very excited about. Uh, the first one that doesn't tie directly into the map stuff that we've been talking about. Uh, one is, uh, so many Forex games kind of lose steam about halfway through the game once 
uh, you know, that initial exploration expansion phase is over and you've grown in strength enough to the point where, you know, you kind of know that you're going to win. So in At the Gates, uh, the game actually opens up new and more challenging, uh, you know, hurdles to overcome the longer you play. Uh, units and improvements all require resources like wood and metal, and over time, the deposits of these are exhausted. And eventually, uh, the entire map runs out. So uh, as you're going forward, things are getting harder and harder to find. You have to go out and search further for new uh, sources of uh, these materials, and you have to steal them from your neighbors and, and that sort of thing. So it's uh, we really wanted to make a game that kind of uh, bucked that traditional curve on Forex games. Uh, the other thing that ties more directly into our topic tonight is uh, something that uh, I think Troy actually already mentioned, which is the effect of seasons. So uh, this is kind of the, the marquee feature of At the Gates. Uh, every turn is one month, and uh, as you progress through the game, uh, the seasons will pass, and that will cause all sorts of changes to the map. So marshes will flood uh, in the spring when, when it's rainy. Uh, plains will become scorched in the summer when it gets hot and dry. In the winter, rivers will freeze, and uh, some rivers that would normally have blocked you, you can now cross because the river's frozen, and some of the rivers that... Um, uh, the rivers that you could cross become a little bit harder because it's uh, not quite the same. Uh, so you you have a lot of changes to the map that aren't really at all in the player's control. Uh, you have uh, you know a situation where you really have to be thinking and planning ahead uh, because if you do something like launch an invasion and your force runs out of supply in the winter, then you're going to be in really big trouble. So this is kind of uh, I think a big, uh, big step forward for Forex games, and it's something that I'm, I'm really excited to uh, tell people more about. But I won't go on too long about it right now. Now you mentioned the, uh, you said the weather things, the season thing is the, that's the marquee, that's the marquee feature. But I want to go back to the resource starvation thing because in some ways, that is even more revolutionary. Uh, the idea that you're using a resource and it will exhaust. And we've seen this, and of course, in harvest-based RTSs forever. Um, you know, it's, it's in pretty much every RTS. It's been in the Cossacks games, these huge mines, and they get exhausted. And of, and of course, Age of Empires and StarCraft, they all have exhaustible resources. This is not something you generally see in a 4X game, though. The idea that if you exploit a resource... It can be first. It can be destroyed. It doesn't just get exhausted. It can be destroyed in at the gates, I believe, mm -hmm. which is certainly a new strategy where you transform the map and force new behaviors on your opponent based on what you've how you've changed the map, which is something you've you may see maybe in Alpha Centauri, but not in a whole lot of other games. Um, so I think that's quite um, a dramatic step forward. How do you see the role of resources um, in map design? Well, it's, it's absolutely key. Uh, part of what makes Forks games as popular and as interesting as they are is the effect that maps have on the gameplay. So pretty much every Forex game has random maps, which is, which is a pretty big deal. And those random maps kind of nudge players into certain strategies. They, they provide players with a certain amount of information and expectations, and then they kind of let them loose and then say, all right, so there's iron over here, there's wheat over here, there's silk over there. 
you know, what are your priorities? What, what, what are your needs? What are your strengths and weaknesses? And, you know, it's not completely balanced in every game. You don't have equal access to everything. Uh, but the, the variance really forces players to kind of switch it up and, and try new things. So the, the resources are a huge, huge part of that. Uh, being able to construct something or not is is very important, and that's kind of been a, a pretty big feature. Uh, I think that was actually introduced in Civ 3, so prior to that, the Civ series didn't have strategic resources, and that was that was a that was a pretty big step forward. And there were uh, obviously a lot of wars that were fought over that, and it's I mean kind of more of a visceral impact, but when you find a resource or you acquire a resource or you capture a resource there's a very powerful feeling of progress that you've you've done something important that you've changed uh, the situation whereas if you could just build whatever you wanted whenever you wanted however you wanted you just don't have that same sense so in a way uh, resources actually provide limits on players and this is something i've talked about on my website and elsewhere but uh, i strongly believe that limits are one of the most important features in a strategy game. You need to kind of block the player's progress in some areas and then over time lift those blocks. And as you do that, it really uh, adds to the experience and it keeps people engaged and it's it's just a lot of fun to you know be able to do something that you couldn't do earlier in the game. Now, I wanted to go back to something uh, you mentioned uh, as you were describing the project because it's something I've been toying around with for... Um, uh, you know, a, a game spy column that I'm overdue in writing, uh, as always. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing, I've been, one thing I've been thinking about, and you touched on this briefly, was, uh, you know, how the beginnings of Forex games are often the best part. Like, I think uh, I've either joked here some, or somewhere else with some friends, like, you know, somebody made a Civ game that's all, like, the first, you know, you know, you know the, the, the first, like, two two eras, really, you know, Civ through classics and maybe into medieval, and then just, like, just do that over and over. Mm -hmm. uh, because, it's, you know, really, like, once the map is all revealed and the borders are all established, like, uh, you know, the... The, the the sense of wonder and excitement in your average Civ game, I find, usually tapers off dramatically. Uh, and, and so really, like, the, the best part of a Forex is usually that early that early land rush, that, that pushing out into the unknown. Uh, and, I, you know, I've been sort of, you know, wondering, like, you know how do you know how 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 can you keep that sense of the unexpected and the the feeling of uh, you know sort of like going out and explore the wilderness? And your solution, it sounds like, is to basically make the the map an active wilderness that you know can uh, you know be a blessing and a curse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you pointed out, one of the the biggest flaws with forex games up to this point is that inevitably. Pretty much every game, you're you're going to have everything explored. You'll have all the the territory filled up that you can that you can colonize, whether it's uh, you know fertile grasslands or planets in a space game or whatever. And then the game just kind of just goes on, <laughs> even though there's there's not really much to it anymore. And that is something that I really wanted to address in At the Gates and. Uh, tried to capture that initial sense of exploration and expansion. So one of the things that makes At The Gates pretty unique is you you have cities, basically, uh, like a traditional Forex game, but they aren't fixed in one location. So you are basically a migrant barbarian tribe, and you can move your cities or your settlements around the map. 
and you're going to want to because as time passes and the resources around your starting area and, and then where you migrate to next, as those exhaust, then you need to get out of there and find something else to eat, basically. Uh, so since you're always on the move, you're always kind of looking to the next to the next expansion phase, if you will. Uh, I'm really hoping to capture that uh, that beginning of a forex game sense throughout the experience, and then uh, as as the game kind of winds down, as resources are completely running out everywhere, that's when the game ends. You have a dramatic climax uh, as things are are kind of falling apart everywhere, and you really need to uh, be be smart about how you use your resources and the decisions you make, and then the game ends. There isn't kind of this long drawn out, okay, you know, I'm going to win, maybe I'll just start a new game. Right. Yeah, I I think we've all had those those games but in a lot of forks a lot of grand strategy games the 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 last uh you know the last stage really is just you sort of you know building the biggest battering ram you can and just clicking you know hammering away towards your goal um Mm -hmm. yeah that's not a lot of fun to swing a battering ram (laughs) nope nope And, and like i said that's definitely something we're looking to address and uh you know trying to trying to fix that is a, a big part of the reason why I wanted to make at the gates and and partially why I picked this this theme as well because uh, you know in a game like civilization which is about all of human history it's hard to kind of wedge a more interesting pace into that experience because what people expect from a game about all of history is that you start from you know cavemen and then you go to you know classical era and medieval era and industrial and then space race and Throughout all of that, we've gotten more powerful and smarter and stronger and and better, and the quality of life has gone up. So everything has been improving. So how do you how do you kind of wedge a a pace where things get harder later in the game where it makes sense? So that is a that is a major design challenge that's based on your on the theme that you're working with, and uh, kind of the fall of the Roman Empire I think is a perfect fit for that uh, that progression of okay you know game starts out kind of easy, very open, and kind of clamps down a little bit, and then you get to the late game, and that's when things actually get really, really hard. And one thing about map evolution, I'm going to go back to our general topic here, um, you're trying some new things here for the forex genre. I mean, getting rid of, I'm all for getting rid of the snowball effect in strategy games. That's something we talked about, like, way back. It's one of your first, first topics. Yeah, yeah. way, mm-hmm. way back, like the first five or ten shows uh, we talked about it we've come back to it over and over again uh, but it is once again something players expect so I guess the question is for a game like At the Gates where there is not just a different curve but different expectations for I mean seasons people will get that eventually and the resources people might get that eventually but the idea of not having fixed production centers the idea of you know moving your cities around from place to place, following the grain, I guess, or what the strategic consequences are of having a river that is frozen. This is a challenge for both the player and for the AI uh, to handle all of these things. So I guess since you're the designer, maybe Rob, you can think of games that you've played I mean, uh, that have this mechanic or this issue the question is i guess how do we how do you prepare a player for changing expectations and how do you design an ai that can cope with the fact that i don't think i mean the the same marshes aren't going to be flooding i think every year right it's going to be oh that marsh always floods so i should stay away from there 
there there's a certain amount of predictability, but there's also enough variance right. that right. you can't you can't bet on it. I mean, sure, you, you never know it's going to be a, a serious drought, for example. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so player expectations and AI expectations. How do you manage those and develop for, for those? Because a transforming map of I mean of this nature, where it's not but it's not really player directed except for you know burning down iron and gold mines you're just punishing the other guy you're not the player can't really change the map in his or her own favor which is something you do in a lot of the other games where you players do transform the map they transform it for themselves most of the transformation here is not in the player's favor except for you know crossing rivers sure so that is actually as as you point out a, a pretty big issue so my feeling on that is players will kind of come into the game knowing what the theme is and knowing what the, the goals and, and what the focus is. So this, you know, this game isn't civilization. It's not a, you know, a kind of, the kind of game where you can just build up and up and up and stay hidden away in your little corner and then uh, build lots of wonders and, and it, you know, kind of admire what you've built off on the sidelines. Uh, so that means that there there will be some people that uh, this game doesn't appeal to that have uh, really enjoyed other forex games, and you know I think that's I think that's okay. I think there are certain games that can do that. You don't want every game to to do that, but uh, I really feel that you kind of want to try different things and uh, push push the market and push the boundaries and and not make every game have to appeal to everyone. Uh, and that's one of the things that's so great about um, the move to Kickstarter and smaller indies and, and these uh, uh, studios that have smaller teams making games because you can do more variety. Uh, but yeah, uh, not everyone's going to enjoy that. Uh, but hopefully uh, the people that uh, hear about the game and want to play it and have uh, found out some information about it will know what they're getting into. I, I feel like you, that's... Yeah, not everyone enjoys everything, but I think there's, you know, every every strategy game kind of plays on the understandings the players have accumulated through playing other games. And they're, you know, they're understanding kind of, a, a, you know, of certain conventions and maybe even a certain, like, worldview. Uh, you know, we always tend to view history from the perspective of the builders and not necessarily the nomads. There's a reason we talk about the fall of the Roman Empire uh, as opposed to the creation of, the you know, modern Europe. Uh, you know, we, we tend to view it more from the, the, the one side of the ramparts and not the other. Uh, and the other issue, of course, is... I mean, yeah, you you set yourself kind of an AI challenge, and you know the the map's going to continue. You know the map, the AI is going to have to be. Uh, I assume you're, this is you know you're going to be playing against the computer, uh, or that's going to be an option, and you know you, that requires sort of a supple intelligence and adaptability uh, that is very tricky. Uh, you know to to uh, you know to get into a strategy game, as you well know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just- to, to speak to player expectations and, and kind of wrap that up, um, you know, yeah, sure, no, not everyone's going to like everything, but that, you know, that's the price you pay with innovation. You do something new, you, you try to uh, push those boundaries and expand what's been done before, and that's not always a good thing, uh, and certainly not always a bad thing, uh, but that's, again, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You're, you're going out on a limb, you're trying something new, you're, you're providing new experiences that some people will love and hopefully a lot of people will love and some people won't. And, uh, you know, you, you, you need games that are willing to push the envelope and not just iterating on the same formula. So, Troy, did we just get spun? 
Yeah, we hear this all the time. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, I mean, but, I mean, Rob's point and John's point and your point, points are kind of the same. I mean, I think that it is good to have a game about from the nomads' perspective uh, because if you look at the history of the barbarian migrations, I mean, they were constantly facing what we would call a transforming map. They were following; they were these were gigantic, large migrations, often caused by either population pressures or environmental issues or just being kicked out of the hut. I mean, one thing or another is transforming the map and forcing all of these people into uh, Europe at this time. And it leads to then a very transformed map uh, for the Romans because all of a sudden people are showing up who have stirrups. And what the hell is a stirrup? Anyway. Oh, man. Uh, so uh, just uh, just mm-hmm. a quick side note. Did either of you ever read a book called uh, Eagle in the Snow? Mm-mm. No. Um, just a, a pretty cool historical novel set during the fall of the Roman Empire, and it really follows this one, uh, you know, old school Roman commander in the very final days of uh, the Western Empire as he's trying to hold uh, a river line in uh, in Germany. But one thing that the, the one that really stands out in my mind is, you know, it's telling the story of his, you know multi-year stand to keep the barbarians out and one thing i remember vividly is um you know him giving orders to his men to uh you know go down to the river and they 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 you know giving watch orders and telling them to continue breaking up the ice do not let ice form uh and how a good portion of this book becomes about his growing dread of a deepening winter and you know for how much longer can they keep this river flowing it's, it was it was really is interesting passage and this conversation is just uh you know brought that to mind it's a very cool book and uh you know worth checking out hmm that that does sound interesting although the fact that neither of us have heard of it may be May not be a good uh, good tide for at the gates. I don't know. <laughs> oh, please! You were talking about collapsed like just before the show. <laughs> I love that book. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that there. I mean, John, there's going to be a lot of innovation. I think I don't think any of these things are for the player insuperable. Uh, I mean, the AI's other thing altogether. But I'm not the coder. I'm not the computer guy. I know that John's smarter, and younger, and cuter than I am, so I'm sure he'll figure it out uh, <laughs> one way or another. Uh, but, but it really is a, it, adaptation. Since that's what we started with the question of how do how does a transforming map impose adaptations on the player? Because that's what you're seeking, John. You want to have the player look at a changing situation, face the fact that come to grips with the fact that the grain may not be here next year. I cannot take another long summer in this part, so I've got to move someplace else. Um, so this adaptation to that, and of course, adaptation to other barbarians coming in and taking all your crap, which is mm-hmm. a traditional, that's a, that's a traditional 4X adaptation. We've been used to adapting to Montezuma stealing my shit. That's just the way things go. Mm-hmm. Um, but adapting to this, the to the playing surface, I mean, that's something that the player will adapt to, and I think that, yeah, I mean, we don't want to oversell how completely dramatic the shift's going to be because people do like new settings, new challenges, the idea of a fall is great. The AI is, I mean, I guess the question is, what do we want the player to experience when they're playing it? This is, as I understand, a single designed as a single-player game. What do they expect from the other... Will the AI be helping them teach how to respond to the map, I guess? Because one thing that I do a lot when I'm learning a new game is I look what the AI is doing. And assuming, if the AI, whether the AI is cheating or not, what the AI is doing is a sign of what I should be doing. Um, so I guess, how will the AI 
be sort of a well, well watching the AI help the player adapt to what could be a very dramatic change for some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So the, in terms of AI, yeah, absolutely, it's it's going to be a big challenge. Uh, this this game is doing some new things, and the AI is going to have to adapt just the same as a player would and uh, plan ahead in, in, in a lot of ways. So it's, it's not going to be easy, but um, just in terms of the feasibility, uh, I feel pretty good about it, partially because uh, we're announcing now, and the, the gameplay features are basically all in the game already, which is really awesome. Uh, we haven't done a whole lot of playtesting yet, but uh, that's kind of the next step. And then we have um, close to a year and a half to work on basically the AI and, and some other polished stuff um, and adding some kind of peripheral features. So we have a lot of time to get it right. Uh, in terms of specifically what the AI is going to do and what it needs to do, um, I've definitely learned quite a bit about AI over the past five or so years. and. Um, there, there were certainly some, uh, decisions I made with AI in the past that aren't, uh, you know, didn't, didn't result in a game that, uh, was as challenging or as, as even interesting as it could have been. So I've, I've learned a lot from that. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that, uh, big strategy games like Forex games have in terms of the AI is just, uh, a lack of focus and a lack of, uh, prioritization of goals. So with AI, uh, when you're actually writing AI code, uh, so giving people kind of a little peek behind the curtain here. AI is a humongous, uh, incredibly complex system. And getting that to actually produce something useful is is pretty difficult. Uh, so uh, the approach that we're going to be taking with the AI in at the gates is making it actually fairly simple and uh, fairly, um, I guess, understandable in a way. So instead of a big... Uh, vast mesh of uh, interwoven systems. It's going to be much more segmented and the answers are going to be much clearer. Uh, What a lot of people don't realize is when you have something as complex as AI, just determining whether or not it's doing what you think it's doing is is really hard. So uh, there's certainly a lot of challenges in the way, but I feel like I have a good grasp on on what needs to be done and and how to approach it in this game. Uh, In terms of the what the AI will actually do and how the player will see that and, and be able to react to that. In in some ways, At the Gates is kind of an asymmetric game where you do have the Eastern and Western Roman empires on the map, and they're kind of playing their own game, really. Uh, they have cities that don't move, they have uh, bigger armies, they have bigger uh, webs of uh, improvements and resources. Uh, they're fighting larger wars. They might be fighting a lot of multi-front wars. They have uh, certain events that can afflict them, and you know you might get a a child emperor, and then suddenly everything kind of falls apart for him. So in that sense, the AI is uh, almost kind of acting like a punching bag in a way. It's almost like the the barbarians in a game like Civ, where they're they're kind of there as a tool to uh, push the player along and kind of invite him into what the game is all about. Uh, as for the other barbarian players, uh, yeah, they're they are playing the same game as the player, and uh, they're they're going to have to adapt to all of the same things the player will. Uh, but the game being designed as it is, it is uh, it is purposefully designed where uh, some AI players will kind of fall apart, and you know maybe they didn't get the food they needed, and then and then things just kind of collapse. So uh, as players go through a game, they're going to see a lot of this going on around them. They'll see the barbarians uh, 
their barbarian neighbors moving around the map. They'll see what they're doing. They'll see uh, the decisions they're making in terms of what resources they collect and, and when they when they move and when they stay put and who they fight and why and why they why they don't. Uh, so there will be a certain amount of instruction provided by them, uh, similar to a lot of other uh, strategy games. But uh, it is it is going to be the the kind of situation where uh, players will probably need to uh, play around a little bit and and see uh, and get a feel for the systems and and how they and how they uh, interact. Um, one last thing I'll mention with that is, uh, and this is kind of true I think with map evolution across the board, where you need it to be predictable enough that players can strategize around it. So you don't want it to be so random and so, you know, I, I have no idea, you know, is, is, is that area going to flood? Is it going to, is it going to be burned up? Is it going to be frozen when I get there? You know, who knows? Ah, you know, that's, that's not what you want. And if you do have a, a system or a game that is that crazy, then it will inevitably be frustrating because as a player, you don't know, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to react to. So there will be enough predictability in terms of how the terrain changes and, and what happens that players will be able to learn from that pretty quickly, get a feel for, okay, this is the area of the map that, that dries out in the summer. This is the, the river that floods in, in the winter. Um, you know, this is the, the island off the coast that, uh, that the coastlines freeze and I can't send boats through that area. So there will be enough predictability that you can actually uh, figure out what's going on and then make a strategy and then Sometimes you'll have to change it. A lot of times you'll have to change it, but it will be an actual strategy. You're not just going to be reacting to all the crazy stuff that happens every turn with with no idea what's going on. Troy, you know, as, as we talked about John's game, I've been sort of uh, mulling over. Like, I'm kind of wondering, you know, why we haven't seen more of this before. In particular, you know, I was thinking just now about like, you know, we, we we've seen so many games about colonialism, uh, you know, and you know, trade expeditions, uh, you know, exploring new worlds, uh, you know, and yet I, I, I you know. Admittedly, I tend not to play those games as much uh, due to the lack of men in gold-braided uniforms. Uh, so that's uh, that, that's kind of a hurdle for me. But I know you played a fair bit. And I'm wondering, you know, you know, these are games where certainly exhaustion of resources, disappearance of uh, you know water sources, that sort of thing. These all these all played a role. Uh, and yet, do they do they find a do they find a home in gameplay? Not a lot, uh, as I think about it. I mean, you think of periods like that where you I guess the only remotely similar example I could think of is uh, the original colonization where you could completely exhaust silver mines you have a great silver mine and you mine it too much and then it becomes a small silver mine which there's not much penalty to that because you still get the silver so it's not it just all of a sudden it runs out okay that's that not a, it's not really a huge deal there's no nothing wrong with doing it there's always, there's always a competition for resources, but you don't exhaust them. You don't. Uh, the map doesn't change in any remarkable way. Um, you you cut down trees. You eat your lunch. And that's the way it goes. Uh, there's really nothing in the colonial era that in colonial era games that fits this model of picking up and leaving. Or I mean, you have you have no you have no no no, no Jamestown problems. You have no Roanoke issues, uh, where you set up in the wrong place and you starve to death because if that happens. You just press start. 
Because uh, that, okay, so the only chance that would ever happen at the very beginning of a game. You're not going to be starving a city, you're starving a culture, or running out of resources mid-game uh, very often. Now, this is something hap- that could happen to you in Civ 4 or Civ 5, the resource you really need. I know that in Civ 4, uh, one of my constant strategies on the same map as the Romans was to beeline for iron, find it if he had any, and take it from him before he could get there. I mean, that was just common. That was, this was hardly genius work. I mean, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to know that you didn't want Julius Caesar making legions because they were totally overpowered in Civ 4. So, but there's, once again, it's a competition for resources and you're starving the other guy of them, but you still have them. So it's not quite the same. Uh, as for you know, other types of map transform, trans, transformations, like the idea of planning for the seasons, because, I mean, yes, you, this area might always be scorched grass through late July and through August, but everything could be scorched grass around you for the next half the hemisphere. So you have to adapt to it and deal with it, as I'm thinking, and at the gates it might be. There might not always be. It's, there's a lot of random maps in this, I believe. It's a random map generator. So the, it's possible there might not be really fertile ground close to you to move to. So you have to... I guess that's where the diplomacy comes in, I would imagine, uh, which I understand is a big part of at the gates from the conversations John and I have been, been having. So that's another way of adaptation and a great way of making resources more than just something you collect. There's something you can trade usefully uh, in At the Gates, by my understanding. And that's another brilliant type of adaptation that you don't really see much in many strategy games where you give away resources if you have too much and the other guy might like you for it. But really, it's matter what you give him. It's just another plus. It's just another bonus. So you give him a super tech, or you give him 500,000 gold. It's all the same to him. It's just another plus. But with resources becoming more important than something like At the Gates, you, have to, you can correct if I'm wrong on this, John. This is just based on our conversations. If you are starving, or if you have an enemy or a rival who is starving of like gold or metal or crucially food, you can really change that relationship if you reach out with what you have and fix his shortage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the most important factor with making resource trading actually interesting and viable is is the same concept that we have in the real world which is uh, scarcity and abundance so if you have more let's say food than you need but not enough metal to build troops that's uh, that's one of those situations and then if you have a neighbor that in turn has a little bit more food than he needs but or or rather uh, has no food at all but has a lot of metal then you both have a very, very strong incentive to, to swap those resources. Uh, what, what typically happens in a lot of strategy games is you don't have that scarcity. You don't have that need of, okay, ooh, I'm, I'm missing out on this thing. Um, you know, I really, I'm, I need to bend over backwards and try to get it. Uh, and at the gates is, is a little bit more punishing than in a lot of Forex games. So uh, there will be times of scarcity, absolutely. And uh, even if you don't have uh, a whole lot more food than you need, you might be able to to really get ahead by trading what little you have in exchange for something else or to just give it as a straight out gift. Uh, so one of the things we want to do uh, more interesting uh, on the diplomatic front was make the relationships with the other leaders a little bit more situational. So instead of um, 
you know, just, uh, all right, you know, we're, uh, you're running this uh, government and we're, I'm running this government. Okay, let's be friends. Uh, it's a little bit more based on what is actually going on in the game. So, for example, uh, if, if you do have a leader that has uh, run out of food and really needs food, if you give them a gift of food then, then that's going to be a really, really big deal. Um, you know, you can imagine what that would be like actually in reality if somebody was literally starving to death and then you gave them a bunch of food, they would have a really good reason to help you out. Uh, if they happen to be, you know, fat and happy or whatever, uh, then giving them some food probably wouldn't do a whole lot. Uh, so that's kind of the concept be behind uh, the diplomacy and at the gates is, all right, this is uh, whatever the situation is, here's what's feeding into that uh, and you'll have opportunities to kind of jump in there and take advantage of it and build relationships that way just quick question uh, i'm i'm curious about like how uh, fog of war w will play here because you know, just think about like you know uh you know troy's uh uh jamestown problem you know the you know rona you know roanoke problem is it often, you know, it's not that a location is totally unviable, it's just that people don't have the information about what's around them to know what they should do when the weather changes. You know what I mean? It's often the case where you just have imperfect knowledge of, you know, what the weather patterns are doing and who, you, you know, who's out there and who you should be talking to. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm curious, like, you know, in, in your game... Uh, you know, is it going to be you just, you know, you, you can see, uh, you know, even if you're, you know, you're nowhere near it, suddenly you know that, uh, you know, it, there, there's a bountiful grain harvest, uh, you know, you know, along, uh, you know, along the uh, Rhone. Yeah, that is um, definitely an interesting topic and, and one I've thought quite a bit about. Uh, so what I'm thinking right now is that there will actually be t uh, two different modes of playing at the gates. One where you do have the uh, the black fog, if you will, uh, areas of the map that you've never ever seen before. You have no idea what's there or what's going on. Um, and then there will be another mode, which uh, may or may not be the default. I haven't decided yet. Probably have to come out of playtesting, but where there is no black fog. You know the shape of the land. You know the terrain that's there. You know what resources are there. So you do have a, a sense for how the map changes where it changes and what it changes into and where the new opportunities lie. So, oh, there's wheat over there. I'm going to head that way. Or, oh, there's metal over there. I really need that. Uh, it's in somebody else's territory, but I, I just got to get there. So, you know, that kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier, where players really need to have information and, and expectations for how the game plays out and what their role within it is. So uh, I imagine that there will be some players who enjoy the completely virgin experience of, I have no idea what's out there. Wow, let's find out. And uh, probably will be punished kind of harshly uh, for playing that way. But for a lot of people also, uh, you know, they're, they're going to want to have some idea of what to do. Uh, you know, it seems kind of reasonable. So, uh, and it also kind of ties into the idea that this is... Um, you know, based around the era of the fall of Rome. So we'll have a, a standard map of Europe uh, that I imagine a lot of people will play on quite a bit. And then we'll also have random maps. And historically, you know, Europe is Europe. It's, it's kind of, you kind of know where the mountains are and where the yeah. islands are and that sort of thing. So it fits in that way. But I do um, understand that this being a Forex game, there will be players that want it both ways. And uh, so we're planning on, on having both. Uh, again, I don't know which one will end up being default, but 
uh, either way, you'll be able to kind of have as much or as little information as you would like. You know, thinking about, you know, why we haven't seen more of this, I, I think, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, Troy, sometimes it seems to me that, uh, you know, you know, in some ways, the forex genre tends to be, uh, you know, a very reassuring one. In some ways, you know, what what, you, what is built is built permanently. Uh, you know, the the elements are really not something you need to worry about mastering. They're just, uh, you know, obstacles for armies, maybe. Uh, you know, really resources to be exploited. Uh, you know, land to be conquered. But what what rarely comes across in, in this genre, certainly, is that. You know the, the the wilderness is not you know is not benign that it can that the you know weather patterns can be a you know a a something that can alter the course of a civilization something that a game like civilization you know kind of uh, by its absence adamantly denies. Yeah, I mean it's games are about climbing. It's something I've written about you know um, quite a few times uh, on the blog. The barely kept up blog back when I blogged, that, you know, people like the story of the rise. They like starting from a small city in SimCity and building a new one. They don't like starting with, you know, Detroit and trying to keep everyone there before it all falls apart. That's mm-hmm. just not interesting. I mean, some people might, but it's just not as much fun for a lot of people. They like the idea of growth, of success, the feeling of success. And we define success not by forestalling failure, uh, not by, but by, you know, how many, not by getting across the Oregon Trail, but by how many buffalo we can shoot on the way there. That's kind of the measure of success uh, we've built up in so many strategy games. Um, so it's, and it's, it's completely natural. It's, it, 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 it's the hero's journey, kind of writ big on a screen. You know, you start and you have these little, quests on the way. You define what your quests are going to be. You're going to build a city here. You're going to take out the Aztecs. I'm going to discover the wheel. I'm going to build a sugar plantation. What have you. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the idea that the planet itself and the world itself is hostile. And we see this in some games, We see, but it's generally the hostility is from other creatures. Like in Warlock or in... Um, Alvis and Tarn, Al- the Mind Worms. Alvis and Tarn, you have the Mind Worms. Fallen uh, Enchantress. You have, I wrote a long blog post about how it had this feeling of a fallen world because of how mean and nasty the universe could be to your wandering heroes. Uh, you could have you know, things come in and just destroy your cities. The world of fallen enchantments will destroy your cities. It will invade you and kill you, which is something you see in a lot of games. But Oh man, also alterable maps. Oops. And it also yeah, it is, it is, yeah in a small in a small way you can you can raise and lower land uh, it doesn't you don't do it a whole lot but it can be done um, and you can cast your little spells here and there uh, but we have but the idea that um, the planet isn't just populated by things that will kill you but the, just the fact that it, it, on its own it is not necessarily a friendly place we have Simmerth which was you know this great science textbook terrible game but a great science textbook where you try to you know nurture civilization out of you know single cell beings and try to make them grow into something that was a game that showed you tweak a little bit of the balance off and you'll get nothing you'll just have you might get to the fish level if you're lucky if you just throw a little bit of a thing off uh, but the planet it's a strange little system and things can get weary but in general, the idea that 
I mean, I really I like this whole resource. I mean, the seasons are are great, and the way that John John showed me how they're going to be implemented, and it, they're really it's really going to be some neat neat stuff there. But I, what I really like about the resource is how they're so is the whole scarcity model. Everything's tied in. How that the diplomatic side, how it becomes this collaborative project. You and these other nomads, you're both competing and cooperating because you can't survive without the, each other and without the resources. So in many ways, you're all uh, colonists going out there across the Oregon Trail. One of you may have a lot of bullets. One of you may have the cure for dysentery. Um, but you all want to take out the Apaches. Uh, but only one person can win Carson City. This is a really terrible metaphor, but you get the point. <laughs> uh, there's this... There's a... It's a... It's a neat little system, and as for I think you're right, Rob. That it really does come down to the fact we like our stories about growth, and that they don't like struggle. I think strategy gamers, I think many of them really do love struggle. I think they really do like hard games, but they also like telling the story of how they became big. Uh, no one starts playing Europa Universalis as France in 1600. Well, I, I think also that there's a tendency, you know. Maybe one thing that chases people away from some of the things that John is playing around with in At the Gates is, uh, you know, strategy gamers may like struggle, although sometimes that's debatable, uh, but uh, certainly they don't have patience for annoyance. And I think yes. the way a lot of strategy games employ, you know, the, con- the, the difficulties posed by the elements or natural disasters doesn't come across as a, you know, a real challenge or a fair challenge or something to be, a system to be grappled with or anything like that. Yes. It comes across as just something that comes around once in a while, like the sea monster in SimCity, right? Just a big random, you know, fuck you. And that's, and <laughs> that I think is, you know, one reason, uh, you know, why you don't see a lot of games pursuing this. I think because often the context in which these things appear is usually kind of negative. Yeah. Well, I mean, SimCity is a good example. I mean, how often have you been building a city in SimCity and it's going really, really good? Then a hurricane comes, screws you over completely, FEMA's not there to bail you out, and you say, screw it, I'm going back to a save game and I'm turning off disasters. Because that's just not the game. I didn't want to play a game where a hurricane destroys all my hard work. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, where predictability and the ability to actually create a strategy that can have a chance of actually happening comes into play. And I think this is where some of the other uh, strategy games that have employed uh, map evolution of some sort have kind of tripped up. So in in a game like Civ, for example, um, Civ 3 in particular is the one I played the most, so that's the example I'll use. Uh, You could have your source of iron or coal disappear, and then it would reappear somewhere else. And there was a very low chance of it happening, and when it did, it was really, really, really frustrating, and typically you would reload because because of that. And the reason why it didn't work is because it wasn't it wasn't part of the game, it wasn't part of the system, it was just this kind of, you know, let's flip a coin, oh, heads five times in a row, there goes your iron, okay, you know, what's fun about that, what can you plan, how can you plan around that? And in at the gates, in, instead of taking that approach, you know when things are going to run out. You know when winter's coming. You know a lot more about what the situation is and, and how you can react to it. And, uh, you know, it's almost kind of a, a similar approach to uh, Crusader Kings 2, in a way, where 
a lot of not so good things can happen over the course of the game. You have, uh, you know, your monarchs obviously uh, grow old and die or can get murdered or die of disease or your, um, you know, your, your, your kingdom can get split in half due to uh, dynastic troubles. But the reason why the game works so well is because that is part of the game. That's, that's something that happens. It's not a huge huge shock it might not you know it might be a 30 percent chance instead of a you know 90 percent chance but it's it's integrated into the theme of the game it's part of the expectations and i think that's one of the reasons why this will work is because uh, you know again going into the game you know that this is how the game plays this these are the factors you you must account for and here's the information you need to use to plan ahead for that uh well i you know i certainly hope uh you know that this works out. I'm I'm excited for your project, but I'm also excited for, you know, I hope that if uh, at the gates is a success, you know, we see some of these ideas uh, propagating uh, through strategy at large, uh, because I, I I do think this is uh, you know fertile if changeable soil uh, for mm-hmm. for uh, you know challenges that you know we 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 haven't seen too much of in strategy and you know over the course of this conversation uh, you know I'm increasingly you know puzzled by what you know why we haven't because uh, it does it does seem like there's a lot of different scenarios that you know lend themselves to this uh, and yet we see very little experimentation with it so uh, I'm very excited to hear about at the gates and uh you know i really hope uh it's a rousing success yeah thank you i um i'm i'm likewise very excited about it obviously um and you know one of the reasons why i did uh go off on my own and start conifer and work on this is is to kind of take that approach and break new ground um you know we got a small team the game is you know 2d it's not uh, some big expensive triple a game by any means but it's going to be a fully featured 4x game it will have as much uh, depth and detail and uh, complexity and crunchiness as you would expect from any other strategy game and uh, you know as i said earlier in the in the show i really just i want to see more diversity throughout all of gaming and i think the small team um but ambitious game focusing on what really matters, which is the design and the gameplay. I think that's the future, and I'm really hoping that that is uh, that is something that we start to see more of. Well, I say we let the public decide how expensive this game is going to be. <laughs> yes. So, um, as uh, I think Rob mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I'm actually doing a Kickstarter campaign to help fund this game. Uh, so since I'm striking off on my own, I basically have uh, what's in my pocket at the moment. So uh, I'm really hoping that uh, we can get the community together and that uh, everyone thinks that this is a, is an interesting idea and worth pursuing. So, uh, you know, all the things we've talked about, uh, technically, there's actually no real guarantee that it will uh, see the light of day, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, get support from uh, people like uh, those of you listening to the podcast right now. And um, hopefully we'll be able to uh, see a lot of really new, uh, cool, innovative strategy games in the future uh, using that funding model. So uh, I ask for your support and I thank you for those who, uh, who do. And, uh, that about does it for tonight's show. You can find uh, more information about John's new game at the Kickstarter page for At the Gates, uh, which we will link in the discussion thread over on the Idle Thumbs forums, which you can find at idlethumbs.net, uh, where Troy and I are, will be endeavoring to hang out more uh, in the new year. Troy's been good about that. I have not. 
But yeah, as always, uh, our thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes, for cutting the show together. And uh, John, thanks for coming by and talking to us tonight. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks, gentlemen. Good luck, John. Thank you. Say goodnight, everybody. Bye, gamers. Goodbye, gamers. Goodbye, gamers.